welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this show. When you're done listening, I hope you take a minute and write a quick review on whichever radio or podcast platform you've heard this show. Your insights will help others to be inspired and encouraged. I have a fantastic show for you today. I'm going to explain the importance of expressing your emotions. I'll also be interviewing John Robinette and Robert Jacoby, who reviewed their book, Never Stop Dancing, a memoir. This book will inspire you as it explores how we look at life differently in the aftermath of a terrible tragedy. For more information about John and Robert, please visit never-stop-dancing.com. You may also purchase your book on Amazon or in the previous guest sections in both stores at either jamesmillerlifeology.com or lifeology.tv. Thank you so much for listening to Lifeology. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. If you're anything like me, you'll love to read. Lifeology and Audible.com have partnered to offer you an incredible opportunity. Audible is offering you one free book download with a free 30-day trial. This is perfect for those of you who love to read but often don't have time to enjoy your favorite pastime. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to start your free trial. They have over 180,000 books from all genres, so I'm pretty confident your favorite author's books will be there. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible and start listening to your favorite book today. Once again, go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to get started today. The importance of expressing emotion. Life happens to all of us. And in that, we experience all different types of emotions. In certain cultures, individuals who cry are called weak or not manly. However, let's think of this from a psychological standpoint. In psychology, we teach that whatever you perceive to be true, in other words, what you think about a situation determines what you feel. Your feelings then tell your body how to respond. So if I perceive something that's really humorous, the feelings I feel are joy, happiness, contentment, which then causes my body to laugh. I express my joy through laughter. What we don't realize is the manifestation of what we're feeling is directly linked with your emotion we're experiencing, which is also directly linked with how we perceive a situation. So if I perceive something to be true, I feel it, but if I don't express it, there's actually a backlash that comes along with that. What I mean by that is this. When you laugh, what laughter actually does to your body is it strengthens the heart muscle. It strengthens the muscles around the heart, which causes it to be a stronger, healthier heart. When we perceive something that makes us sad, we feel the sadness. And if we don't cry, then unfortunately, the additional hormones that were created because of the sadness are trapped in our body. And if they're trapped in our body, it causes our body not to be as functional as it could be. That's why it's really important to always express your emotions in a healthy way. Now, of course, there's a time and place to express them, but it is important to allow yourself to express the emotions because if not, your physical body has to do something with the energy that's created from those emotions. 
in Chinese medicine, they talk about how your emotions actually affect different parts of your body. For example, if you continue to have multiple feelings of worry, that affects your spleen. If you're struggling with excessive grief, it affects your lungs. If you struggle with anger or resentment, that can affect your liver. If you're struggling with fear or insecurity, that affects your kidneys. That's why it's important that whatever you perceive to be true, it will determine what you feel from that. And if you don't express the feelings in a healthy way, it will affect multiple areas of your body. I always laugh when people say, real men don't cry. <laughs> so from this lesson itself, we know that, quote, real men, their body is not going to be as healthy as individuals who do express their emotions in a healthy way. So I really want to encourage each one of us that whatever you're feeling, it is important to realize that there is a physical response with the emotion that you're experiencing. And when you can express it in a healthy way, you'll find that your body continues to be stronger and stronger. You'll hear how this makes sense in the interview in just a few moments. Robert and John were really able to normalize all the different types of emotions they were feeling, and that strengthened their friendship. I wanted to take just a quick moment to thank you all who continually support and listen to James Miller Lifeology. I have been so blessed and honored by your continual support. However, I want to make sure that you don't miss out on anything exciting that's happening over here. So go to jamesmillerlifeology.com or lifeology.tv and sign up for the free weekly recap. Each week, I will send you an email which has all the latest radio episodes, YouTube episodes, magazine articles, and self-help products specifically for you. Once again, go to jamesmillerlifeology.com or lifeology.tv and sign up for the free weekly recap. My guests today are co-authors John Robinette and Robert Jacoby, who review their memoir, Never Stop Dancing. This book will inspire you as it explores how we look at life differently in the aftermath of a terrible tragedy, how we understand the concepts of love, God, and religion, and the issues of male friendships in our modern era. Welcome to my show. Hi, James. Thanks for uh, having us. Hi, James. This is Robert. Thank you for having us on. Really excited to have you on my show because there's so many themes in this book, which I think are incredibly relevant. One of the main things is the concept of grief. We all have experienced grief in our life at some times. And the way you both have created this incredible memoir, I think is really going to be helpful for my listeners today. Thank you. Thanks. So in 2010, tragedy struck. John, why don't you walk us through what happened? Wow, right. So uh, I was working at a university. I still work there. And I was heading back to a meeting when I was uh, approached by a police officer and a colleague. And he pulled me aside into a room and, and told me right there at work that uh, his words were, your wife's been in an accident, a traffic accident. And I, I said, well, where is she? Is she okay? And he says, well, she didn't make it. And oh it spun me into a place of bewildering mm -hmm. confusion, uh, lack of balance, physical mm -hmm. balance. I literally started to feel like the earth was tilting to one side and was oh, going to slide off the edge. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And then, uh, I called my parents, I called my wife's parents and I had to get home. A colleague drove me home and, uh, I had friends from our church go get my kids from aftercare. They were, uh, uh, seven and four years old at the time, two mm -hmm. boys. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I learned. That's how I found out. That's what happened. Well, first off, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I, I can't even imagine the, the grief that you must have experienced. To even re relay that now, I'm sure it's very visceral as well. But to even yeah. describe it, I'm sure you had no threshold or no 
previous experience to say, this is how I'm feeling. So even when you describe it, it's probably hard to really put the nuanced words to something that is so profound. Yeah, well, fortunately, my friend Robert, who I, we had a friendship that predated uh, that event, um, and he's a literary type, so we would get into conversations about all manner of things. So the, the, mm-hmm. the sense of being in conversation about you know heavy topics, and he had shared heavy sure. topics in his life with me, um, so there was a familiarity with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that in my earlier uh, years, in my 20s, I was in a short-lived marriage that unraveled and through that experience and going through therapy and uh, having the comfort of a men's group to help me through that, uh, I had some sense of the value of talking through my emotions. Good. Yeah. Now, Robert, when you heard this information, what, what was your immediate response? I mean, besides the grief, of course. My immediate response, I was flabbergasted when I first heard mm-hmm. about John's loss. Uh, mm-hmm. You go through those stages, literally unbelieving, trying to find out, phoning his house, a stranger picking up the phone. When I first saw him uh, in his house there on his living room floor, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, those scenes and sights of sitting with John in the close aftermath of losing Amy, it's it was just a terrible tragedy, a terrible mm-hmm. loss. Yeah. Words, words almost fail to describe. Mm-hmm. And then walking away from that, I could see that people were taking care of his physical needs. But as John mentioned, we had a, a many-year friendship predating this tragedy. And so one of the things I wanted to do was step forward in conversation with him and meet him in his grief where he was. Mm-hmm. Is as noble as it, or generous as that is, or kind as that is, rather... I'm sure it was very difficult as well because John having to talk about something that's so traumatic, sometimes it really takes us back to the first time we heard the news. Mm -hmm. And so with that, to start to talk that, how are you able to regulate that within yourself to say, okay, I can talk about this a little bit more as opposed to continually being traumatized? At first, it's interesting because that that changed over time and Mm -hmm. it's actually harder to go back to that, those moments than it was shortly after the that there was something about talking through it with Robert over and over again, reliving it from time to time and exercising the grief. It would help bring up the hard emotions and the I describe it in the book as this tar ball that was growing inside my my abdomen and I just had to expel them through these convulsive grief crying mm-hmm. sessions. And I yeah. I intuited that as a healthy move. Like I had mm-hmm. to expel that as, as if it was a toxin in my body. Um, and it was exhausting, absolutely yeah. exhausting. So we would sit down and talk for an hour, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe two hours. Mm-hmm. And at the end I would be drained. Just wrung out. Yeah. Wrung out. Yeah. And, uh, so we had to moderate that over time. And as the process unfolded and over the years of collecting the the transcripts and editing it and making it into a, a, a structure that people might be able to read through, uh, going back to that, those sections and rereading what I had talked through and what Robert and I had shared became harder and harder. And I can't, I can't go back to it now. I can't read oh, that. Oh yeah. sure. yeah, I'm sure. Well, you know, Robert, that was, that was so, uh, I, I find that very fascinating that you thought, well, I, I don't know how to help him, but I, I want to be able to use words. I want to be able mm-hmm. 
to capture this. What what was the inspiration for you to even come up with that? There were a few pieces that I can point to. As John mm-hmm. noted earlier, I'm a literary type. Uh, by that time already in 2010, I had two books under my belt. The first book I did actually was a set of interviews with a merchant marine um, over his 40-year career sailing the high seas. Now, oh, wow. Now, for th- for that book, I had interviewed him over a 10-day period, and I sat with him for between four and eight hours each day. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Took, took the transcripts, uh, formulated that into a book, and it's, it's available now. Oh, that's amazing. So it was, it was a natural progression then for you to do that. that makes it sense. was. And there, also in my background, I have some journalism in, experience in my background. So I had sat for close to 100 different interviews and roundtable discussions with people. Wow. And so in, in the aftermath of John losing Amy, mm-hmm. my, my thought was, how can I help him? What can I do? And what I brought to this, what I brought to John's experience was just who I was, who I am yeah. as a friend, as uh, a good friend who, who listens to what he's saying, as someone who's experienced different points in our life where we have had tragedies, we, we've mm-hmm. shared these experiences together. And our conversations leading up to this were always wide ranging, always yeah. very deep. And we had that level of trust, trust already built into our relationship. And so for me, this was a natural step to go forward to ask him to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, there was some hesitation on my part. Was he going to want to do this or not? But I felt at the time and I thought I, I have to ask him if he wants sure. to do this. Sure. Wow. And here we are today. Yeah. After, after tragedy, I mean, our life is just completely different. Mm-hmm. What, what was the, the takeaways for you both as someone who experienced it and someone who has um, experienced it as, as, in, as, a, as a friend as well? What were the takeaways for that as how to deal with the aftermath of something as tragic as this? Right. So in the immediate aftermath, there was just some very practical, tactical things I had to get in order to take care of mm-hmm. my kids primarily and realizing very quickly how much of the, you know, when you're co-parenting with another person, right, the the amount of work the other person is doing to co-parent is not appreciated, I don't think. Yeah. And I certainly didn't as much as I felt like I was in, yeah, as as much as I felt like I was in touch with my kids and what my wife was doing, the truth was I didn't, I didn't know at all. And so it changed my appreciation of that. And I have a, um, a wonderment for people who are single parents and how Mm -hmm. they pull that off. Uh, so that's one, the discernment for me in terms of, the more existential questions. And I came before that, I would ask myself the questions of God and nature and existence, why we are here, what's my purpose and things like that. And so the longer tale of grief, as I experienced it and went back to those questions, they became less important Mm. and rather replacing it more with how am I going to live today? What am I going to do today for my children and be present for them, yeah. for example? The existential questions, for those of you who don't know, existential, existentialism basically is why are we here? What's my purpose? And with that, it's great to have those thoughts because it really can move us forward. But when something is so dire as I just need to find my breath for the next moment mm-hmm. and the next moment. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's so important to find that perspective of existentialism. It's wonderful, but it's also not mm-hmm. practical at times too. Mm-hmm. Right. So Robert, for you, as yeah. the aftermath of this tragedy, uh, being part of the community, how is that for you? Well, I, I think it's so interesting that you pointed to those moments that we pause to take uh, 
to take stock of who we are and why we're here. I think in each one of the sessions that I sat down with John in that year after Amy was killed, in each one of those sessions, to me, it felt like we were out of time and we were Mm. in this vacuum just with the two of us together. Now, I know that we were in a hyper special place that most friends don't get to go to, Mm -hmm. but I would still say that there's something to be brought back from that for anyone who might want to read this book, Never Stop Dancing. And and that is that it was a powerful experience for me uh, being with John in those moments. And through every season, I saw him changing. I saw him as a resilient man. I saw him as a spiritual man. I saw him as a loving man to his children. So there's not one thing I could point to, James, Mm -hmm. but it was more as going forward, walking that year with him, I saw him become a different person, a different man. Mm -hmm. And I saw myself grow because of that. Yeah, of course. And I saw our relationship change also. Well, that's a that's a great segue into just male friendship in general. I actually had someone on my show last year sometime. We were talking about that. And his his book was specifically about how do men make friends once they're at midlife or once they're retiring because it's very difficult. But with you, unfortunately, because the situation happened, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a beauty that came out of it. But with when it comes to the friendships itself, what would you say is, is what's made your friendship um, grow exponentially? That's a great that, question. That really is, yeah. yeah. And uh, we could spend two or three more <laughs> episodes on this one. I think in a nutshell, though, uh, at, at a base level in any friendship, there has to be some level of trust. Mm -hmm. And to get to trust requires some exposure, some vulnerability in in that partnership, in that um, exchange. And Robert and I have actually talked about this, that the the event of Amy's death was so um, rending to my my soul, to Mm -hmm. my body, it just ripped me open. And once that happened, there was nothing left to lose. Yeah. So being vulnerable, and especially with someone I already had a relationship with, was was easy. It wasn't mm-hmm. even easy. It just happened naturally, like I'm flowing down a stream. And we talked about, well, what happens when you don't have a traumatic event like that to to allow you to be open like that? And the, the reality is, if we just crack ourselves open a wee bit, we all are carrying some trauma. Mm-hmm. We're all carrying some grief. And with men in particular in our culture, it's not something that we're we're taught. Uh, our, our culture doesn't really um, give us permission necessarily. You have to work for it. And Robert, I'm sure, has something to say on that too. In the years before Amy was killed, John and I were close, good friends. Obviously, post Amy's death, that was even more so. But in the years preceding that, You do say, James, that it's difficult for men in midlife to make friends. That's an excellent point. I think John, we were both working at the same university, and John was the one who approached me. I had some music playing uh, in the background in my office. He stepped in and he said, oh, what's that song? I told Mm. him what the song was. And from there, we just had a conversation uh, just about music, uh, about, about our families. And I can't remember who invited who first to lunch, but we struck up a friendship. And pretty quickly during that friendship, we understood each other to be uh, deeper thinkers, more Mm -hmm. contemplative, more wanting to question things and question things about each other. Uh, Why do we believe things a certain way? Mm -hmm. 
How did we come to believe these things? Is it our culture? Is it us? Is it the nature versus nurture question? So I think we both, John and I both have inquisitive minds and we play off each other and we really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah. We always did. Yeah. And so this book, me approaching John to do this book was to me, again, a natural outcome mm-hmm. of what we, what we are, what we were as friends, what yeah, we are. I'd agree with that. What advice would you give men listening right now as far as how they, they can have their own type of friendship? That's a, that's a, that's a great question and a hard question to answer. And I <laughs> yeah. think it's, it's very situational for the sure. person yeah, and, and what, what they're uh, going through. I think that if we think about one of the, um, cultural expectations of men to be brave and strong, true bravery and strength comes through at some level being vulnerable, taking Mm -hmm. that risk to open Mm -hmm. yourself up for criticism or whatever it might be. What are the reasons why men would typically not share uh, a deep concern or emotion they have about about themselves, about their own abilities in the world, about their relationships. Something's holding that back. And what I would offer is to actually allow yourself to explore that with another person is an act of courage and bravery. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would say also that I don't mean to sound crude, but you don't need to be friends with everybody. Yes, even right. <laughs> You don't need to have 50 close friends. Even Jesus only had 12 apostles. Mm-hmm. So I think to have a close group of people or even a one-on-one relationship, my friendships with men tend to be one-on-one. Yeah. And I enjoy that time. That's that's my personality. That's who I am. And that's then the men I've chosen to become close with, that fits them also. And so it is, to me, it's more that one-on-one over a lunch, over a dinner, over a shared activity. Well, from a social psychology standpoint, we, we really teach that there's only one out of four people who are really for you. So real mm-hmm. quickly, one out of four can't stand you, will never be for you. <laughs> one out of four don't like you, but can be talked into liking you, and, but it's not still a tenuous relationship. And then one out of four um, like you, but could be talked out of it. And then, of course, the, the first one, like I said, is the people who really are, are in your court. So mm-hmm. just want to piggyback off that, that you're right. You don't have to be friends with everybody. And the likelihood of you being friends with everybody is not going to happen because social psychology helps us remember that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> that's right. Great. That's a good point to make. When it comes to this book, Never Stop Dancing, what is it that you want the, the main takeaway to be? Boy, again, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think that for me, I would I would take it right. I would take my answer right back to why I first approached John with this question: Will you do this project with mm-hmm. me? And that is that there are some nuggets of truth to be gleaned from this tragedy that he went through. That's what I wanted to bring back for people: that through this tragedy, and I mean through the entire year, not just because of this tragedy, but who he became through that cauldron of emotions that he suffered through that entire 12 months, that people can read the book, they can find themselves in the book or find Mm -hmm. a friend in the book or find a family member in the book. And they can say, nah, now I know, now I understand. Now I have a better understanding of what that person went through and also how I can be a better friend to that person going through this grief. Yeah, and if I could just add to that a little bit, uh, for me, I would say our our contemporary culture and how we live has separated us from the experience of death. Mm -hmm. Um, unlike what our grandparents, great grandparents experienced, you know, hundred, 200 years ago, which was a much more present experience. And we've isolated ourselves from that to a point where as communities respond to someone in grief, we're not quite sure how to handle that. And, uh, there's a fair amount of the book talks about, 
the awkwardness that came from people who were desperate to help, wanted to help, didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I had to take on a role to sort of coach them through it at Mm -hmm. some point, which um, I saw it within about a week after Amy's death that I'm going to have to let people know it's okay to talk to me, to ask questions, or now's not the right time. Sure. And uh, so those structures, we've, we've lost some of that over the years uh, somehow. I would also just add the amazing power that community does have when mm-hmm. it comes together. I was kept alive, I'd say, uh, literally through the goodwill and good uh, efforts of my neighbors, my church community, family. Uh, yeah, it, it really was um, essential for yeah. my um, psychic and I think physical survival. Mm-hmm. One thing I really like about this book as well, if I can just put my own two cents in there is I really like how it comes from the sense of the person experiencing it, but the person who's watching it and mm-hmm. is a part of it as well. And that's why I think it really can speak to so many people because we, we all know someone who's experienced tragedy or we've experienced mm-hmm. tragedy ourselves. And so with that, the, the nuances of both sides um, can, can really be incredibly profound. And of course, mm-hmm. there's so many other themes there that we could talk about for hours. Mm-hmm. I'm really grateful that you both are on my show today. So if my listeners would like to find out more information about you both and to purchase this book, Never Stop Dancing, where would they find this information online? Sure. Well, it's available on Amazon.com. So Never Stop Dancing, a memoir. We'll get you that both Kindle and paperback. And also the website, never-stop-dancing.com. Mm-hmm. And there on that book website, the people can read a Q&A. They can read excerpts from the book. They can sign up for our newsletter. Perfect. Well, my listeners also know that if you're not able to find your book one more time, Never Stop Dancing, a memoir, simply go to both stores at either jamesmillerlifeology.com or lifeology.tv. It will connect them directly with Amazon. John Robinette and Robert Jacoby, thank you so much for being a fantastic guest on my show. I really do appreciate all your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, James. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.